right, let's go Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, it should be up on the screen behind me. If you don't own a Bible, don't have access to one outside of this place, man, we'd love to help you fix that. We value God's word here. We think it has the ability to uh, convict of sin and draw people to repentance. We believe that it's uh, God's primary means of teaching us about himself. And so if we're going to pursue chasing after God deeply here, then the Bible is something that's incredibly important to us. And we want it in front of your eyes as often as possible. And so uh, as you're turning there, uh, I want you to hit me with some of your New Year's resolutions. Lose weight, get organized. What else we got? Be on time for stuff. <laughs> All right, okay, maybe not your resolutions. What are the typical resolutions? Lose weight, eat better, exercise more, at least be more active. You, maybe you joined a gym for you know, the year, but only go in January. Um, Watch the news more, read more, give up bad habits. All right, so when you hear the, the phrase New Year's resolution, those are the things that come to your mind, right? I mean, there's this list that's just kind of floating out there in the ether that we all kind of get. And some of us will attach ourselves to it, and some of us are put off by it, and we'll run as far in the other direction as we can, right? Yeah, we all kind of have these ideas about New Year's resolutions. Nobody's on the fence about New Year's resolutions. Like, nobody's like, ah, I just don't have an opinion. Either you're very into them, or you hate them, right? Anybody not doing resolutions because, you know, because they're resolutions? <laughs> yeah, okay. So, there's, there's, there's this weird kind of thing that goes on. And honestly, the way my head works, I'm, I'm weird. I, I don't know if you know this yet. Um, as we grow to know each other more and more, more of these things will come out. All right? uh, but my head is weird. And so when I think of New Year's resolutions, in my head, I picture the self-help section of a bookstore. Anybody else? I mean, why? Because that's basically New Year's resolutions for sale. Right? And so whether it's Barnes & Noble or maybe you have a really solid Amazon Prime account, I mean, heck, we live in an age where you can YouTube just about anything you want to learn. Right? I, I learned how to do all kinds of stuff that I probably should have learned as a kid from YouTube. Right? And so uh, we live in a world where you could literally go and look for and figure out how to do anything that you want to make you better. Right? I honestly see the self-help section of a bookstore. You want to look better, cook better, golf better, be a better lover, be a better fighter. All you have to do is run down to Barnes & Noble, right? I mean, we're absolutely inundated with options about how to make yourself a better person. Just flooded with them, man. But why do you think this cultural phenomenon exists? Like, like because we live in the world we live in, I googled where did New Year's resolutions come from, and if you do the same, you'll get about a page and a half worth of answers of, well, it, came, it predates the Babylonians and this and that and uh, blah, 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 blah. I, I don't care about the origins as much as I care about why it's such a big deal here. 
Like, why do you think the phenomenon exists? I've got an idea. And honestly, it stings a little, (laughs) but it's an honest idea. What if? Was that me? That's weird. All right. Sorry. What if? What if New Year's resolutions are kind of our built-in mechanism for dealing with another year that ended just like the year before it, and the year before that, and the year before that? God help us the year before that. It stings. <laughs> what if it's our built-in mechanism for dealing with another year that didn't quite live up to the promise that we hoped 365 days before? Like we're coming out of the Christmas season. Some of you all may still be in it. Katie and I actually took our tree down Christmas night. We love that. We realized that we've been living in our house longer with decorations than we had without them. And so we're like, okay, let's get our stuff in, our, in its normal place. And so we already took down. Some of y'all are still doing the Christmas thing, but we're all kind of coming down out of this Christmas season. Anybody else get sold something uh, through a TV show or a commercial or a Hallmark movie that didn't quite live up to its promise? Did your family still bicker this year? Uh Uh-huh. Despite what the movie closing as it fades to black through the snowy window, as everybody laughs and laughs around the, the table, your family probably still fought over menial dumb stuff, right? Yeah. Anybody get a new fancy shiny little gadget for Christmas that the shine is already starting to wear off a little bit? Yeah. How many of you are feeling the pressure on that belt this morning because all those Christmas treats came with a high-calorie price tag? See, we've, we've got this season called Christmas where everything gets played up and all of these wishes that we're wanting to be fulfilled get promised to us that they're going to be fulfilled and then we get to January 1st and it's like, oh yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe not. Maybe Maybe not everything worked out like I hoped it would. I wonder if it's because we feel the weightiness of our failures from the year before. Maybe it's because we feel the incompleteness of what we've experienced in this world. Here it's been another year and it just didn't quite get to the finish line. So I'll ask the question again. Anybody not doing New Year's resolutions this year because you're just tired of failing? Am I wrong? Yeah. So, so we tell ourselves, essentially lie to ourselves, well, this is the year it's going to be different. This is the year we're going to figure it out. So here's what I want to do. I want to spend the next two weeks looking at New Year's resolutions. That sound like fun? I'm the guy with the face mic. It's what we're doing anyways. All right. We're going to look at two weeks of New Year's resolutions. And here's how I want to handle it. I want to spend two weeks, one, looking at why we shouldn't do New Year's resolutions. And then two, next week, looking at why we should do New Year's resolutions. Does that sound duplicitous? It sounds a little two-faced. Here's why. All right. There's a lot of things in our culture that 
people go to the Bible and say, well, what is the Bible's view about this? What does God think about this, that, or the other? And the Bible's not going to actually give us an answer on that because the Bible's not concerned with that. But the Bible's always concerned with principle, all right? And so here's what I mean by that. Like a thousand other things in life, New Year's resolutions, you're not going to get a black and white answer. The Bible's neither pro-resolution nor anti-resolution. It's otherworldly about New Year's resolutions, all right? We can, we can list off things until we're blue in the face about the way the Bible views things as otherworldly. It sees differently, it values differently, it prioritizes differently. And so the Bible is neither pro-resolution nor anti-resolution. It's otherworldly about resolutions. And so what I want to do is for the next two weeks, ask the question, how does Bible view resolutions? And so what we're going to start with this week is talking about why you shouldn't, why it's a dumb idea. Why New Year's resolutions are for losers, and if you do them, you're a loser too. And then next week, we'll gather back in the same place, and I'll tell you why you're a loser if you don't do New Year's resolutions, okay? So you ready? Again, face mic. This is what we're doing. All right, so two reasons. That's what I'm going to give you this morning. Two reasons why you should totally stop doing New Year's resolutions. Revelation chapter 5, okay? So that typical New Year's resolutions list we listed a second ago, did you notice any similarities in them? Eat better. Study more. They're all things that make you feel better about who? You. (laughs) Like all of them. They're all designed to make you feel better about you. That's why I I pictured the self-help section of a bookstore, right? Yeah. So like like the eating better thing. Now, is is there a holy and righteous reason for you to be a good steward of your body and eat better and be more active? Absolutely. But that's not why you wanted to do it. Are we being honest this morning? Maybe not? No? No, it's because you walked by a mirror and you didn't like what you saw right? Or you got on the the scale and had to lean over a little bit to see the number, right? Don't, don't, don't judge me, okay? All right. Yeah, we, we didn't, is there a, a a holy, righteous, honoring God type of reason to uh, be a better steward of your body? Yes and amen, but we're not lying this morning. That's not why you wanted to do that. And the, the, Read more, watch the news more, or at least be more informed of the world around you. Is there, a, is there a reason to be a good steward of the intellect that God has given you where you chase after understanding and comprehending the world around you? Absolutely. That's not why you wanted to do it. Because you wanted to feel smarter in that conversation with somebody who does do those things, right? Yeah. And even the more noble sounding ones like spend more time with family or serve in our community, blah, 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 blah. We, we give altruistic kind of sounding reasons to justify it, but really it's about chasing after your view of what makes the world the best way to make the world, right? There's no such thing as pure altruism. It doesn't exist. And so the question for a Christian, the question for somebody who, who life and attitude and action submit to the lordship of Jesus, the question that we ultimately have to ask is, well, what should be the reason that we chase after doing everything? Why should we do this? Why should we do that? And that is very much answered in the Bible. 
While the Bible may be silent on New Year's resolutions, the what should we chase after in this world question is not. Revelation 5, you ready? This is a vision that the Apostle John is given by Jesus to give comfort to a group of Christians who are being persecuted and persecuted heavily. All right? And so the finish line here that he's going to talk about is the, the victorious King Jesus who sits on the throne. So look at verse 1 together. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, that's God, a scroll written, written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So let's call time out here. So what, let's figure out what's going on so everybody's on the same page. All right? John has a vision. All right? And in this vision, he sees people gathered around the throne of God. And there's this thing that they've got to open in order for the rest of human history to play out. Right? And they're opening these scrolls and they're opening these seals and it starts to, to come to the realization that, uh-oh, there's this thing that's got to happen first or else we can't move on. There's this other scroll and the seal that's got to be opened and they start to feel the weightiness of the fact that no one is worthy to open this thing. And they begin to weep. And then one of the old guys says, hey, hey, don't worry. There's somebody who's worthy. He calls them, he gives them two titles. What were they? The lion of the tribe of Judah and the what? David. Who's he talking about? Jesus. So the old guy goes, hey, 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 John, it's okay. It's okay. Don't weep. This is under control. Jesus is here. He is worthy. Now let's keep reading. Verse 6, and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Just a time out here. How many murdered lambs do you see standing around this morning? Me neither. I almost saw one, but I had to look through a fence. And a, no, a murdered lamb standing as though slain. What's the picture here? This murdered lamb ain't dead no more. Standing victoriously right? And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which is a weird symbolic picture to say that Jesus is all powerful and all knowing, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Verse seven, and he went, Jesus went and took the scroll from the right hand who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals for you are slain and by your blood you ransomed or purchased people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Verse 11. 
Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped that song that we sang last jenny lee riddle just ripped off the bible is what she did john is given a vision of an act of worship in heaven it is a bottleneck for all of human history Which means, Christian, follower of Jesus, that every single thought and action and purpose in your life will ultimately lead to this moment. John feels the weightiness of the fact that they can't move on unless somebody is found worthy of opening the scroll and breaking its seals. And they're like, no, 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 Jesus is worthy. Everything flows up to that moment, which means every ounce of everything you do in your life leads to that moment. And it will either be something that adds to the glory of Jesus in that moment or something that does not. Best case scenario, it's something that fades into the background and doesn't matter. Worst case scenario, it's very obviously out of place and it's going to be awkward. Jesus gives John a vision of a heaven to come where all of human history comes to a bottleneck moment. And as they gather around the throne, they are not having a beauty pageant. And they are not comparing stock portfolios. Now, are those things important? Should you be good stewards of your body and your finances? Yes and amen. But that is not the bottleneck of human history. There's coming a day when those things will fade into the background. The first reason why you should totally stop doing New Year's resolutions It's because your biggest plans in this life are ultimately too small. Your biggest hopes and dreams, the things you chase after, kind of pale in comparison to that. Congratulations, you worked your way to the top. The top of what? That top ain't going to last. If you're a Christian, everything in your life, everything in your heart, in your hopes, in your dreams is either leading up to that moment or is a distraction from that moment. So maybe one of the most loving and honest things as your pastor I can do is stand up on this stage and tell you that your greatest plans in this life may not be as big a deal as you think they are. That's not... That's not looking to tear you down. That's that's looking to give you lenses to see something far more eternal. At the end of the day, just maybe, 
one of the reasons that your resolutions always seem to fail. I'm causing problems up here. That at the end of the day, one of the reasons maybe your resolutions always seem to fail is because you're chasing after things that don't last. That are literally destined to fail. Maybe you're spinning your wheels over something that, best case scenario, will burn away like dross. Worst case scenario, opposed to the true king. I said I'd give you two reasons, right? I mean, do you need another one? (laughs) All right, two reasons. Number two, because you can't fix yourself. John 3. Join me in John 3. John chapter 3, while you're turning there, let me give you some context. The Pharisees are better than you. And I don't mean that pretentiously, I mean that literally. For all intents and purposes of our story, the Pharisees are more moral, more conservative politically, whatever you think of as the best way to live your life, the, the Pharisees have you beat. They have me beat too, all right? So it's not like this weird thing where I'm in the category, but you're not. No, they make me look like a fool, all right? For, for in a culture that was running towards the Greek system, the Hellenists, as they were, uh, the world was changing around them, the Pharisees were the guys who were holding on to all that was valuable and honored God in their society. All right? Think small town uh, businessman who's a, like a good, honest businessman running their business well. Uh, it's kind of a, a socio-political party where they were holding on to theological integrity when everybody else was running the wrong direction. So hear me when I say this. The Pharisees have you and I beat by good old-fashioned country mile when it comes to right standing before God. Now, they had some massive problems with the way that they thought about God and what pleased God. And Jesus spends a lot of his time in public ministry correcting those problems. But I promise you, Jesus looked more like a Pharisee than he looked more like, than he did like me. Holy and perfect Jesus looked more like a Pharisee than he looked like me. And so for the purpose of our story this morning, do not hear the Pharisee as the bad guy. Hear the Pharisee as the curve wrecker. Like, get your head out of the movies for a second. No one likes the good guy, right? There's a reason why we have terms and nicknames called the curve wrecker. We don't like that guy, unless you were one, and then everybody didn't like you, right? There's a reason why you get mad at the guy that wants to drive 55 when you want to drive 62, right? We're all being honest this morning, right? Yeah, no one likes the good guy. The Pharisee was the good guy when everybody else was running the wrong direction. And so for the purpose of our story this morning, here, the Pharisee does it better than you. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named, who? Nicodemus. That's a, you should name your kids and grandkids Nicodemus. All right. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, and Rabbi is just a Hebrew Aramaic word for teacher. Teacher, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. Excuse me. All right, so the Pharisees have a problem with Jesus. 
And it's mostly because Jesus keeps claiming himself to be God. That's a problem. Because if that's not true, that's an insanely blasphemous thing to say, right? If it is true, then power to him, right? I think it is true, but the Pharisees didn't. And so they had a massive problem with Jesus because he kept saying, I'm God, and I'm equal with God, and I'm equal to the Father. And, well, you can't let blasphemy go by if you think it's blasphemy. And so they hated Jesus, but there was a massive problem. Jesus kept doing all these miracles. So what category do you put him in? Like, if he's saying blasphemous things, but he's doing all these things that only could, uh, God could do through him, how do we categorize this? And so Nicodemus sneaks to Jesus in the middle of the night, because obviously you can't be fraternizing with the enemy. All right? And so he sneaks to Jesus in the middle of the night and asks him, hey, what's up? Help me understand what's going on here. And so look at Jesus' answer in verse 3. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Verse 4, Nicodemus said to him, Well, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So Jesus tells him that in order for him to see the kingdom of God, he's got to be born again. And Nicodemus, because he's only ever experienced one type of birth in his life, goes, That doesn't make sense. He thinks he's talking literal, but Jesus isn't literal here. He's talking about a spiritual reality. He needs a restart, right? But Nicodemus, again, doesn't know how to categorize this, all right? And so look at verse 5. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Jesus says that at the end of the day, your flesh, and the flesh is the Bible's way of talking about the sinful part of you, that your flesh, your sinfulness, will only ever produce more sin. That makes sense. You plant a lemon tree, you get lemons, right? You don't, you don't hope apples will grow from the lemon tree. You can put a sign in front of it, you can paint those suckers red, but it doesn't matter, there are going to be lemons painted awkwardly, right? says that the sinful part of you will only ever produce more sin. But, Spirit, when the Spirit comes in, that produces things that are pleasing to God. Well, that sounds great. How do I get on on that? How? And that's where verse 9 comes in. Verse 9. Nicodemus said to, them, said to him, How can these things be. Now remember who Nicodemus is. Nicodemus outpaces you and I in every category of righteousness. Nicodemus outpaces you and I in every single thing that we would deem to be pleasing to a holy God. And he goes, wait a minute, what? Jesus calls him here In a verse I haven't read, so let me back up. He literally took a vow. Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, literally took a vow to follow God's law to the letter and hold other people accountable to it. So feel the weightiness of this. 
Nicodemus has spent his entire life being the guy who came through. Nicodemus has spent his entire life being the guy who pleased God with his outward righteousness. Nicodemus has spent his entire life being the guy that everybody could look to as doing it the right way when no one else did. And in a moment, Jesus rips the rug of all of his work and effort out from under him. How you feeling about that? What do you mean I need that instead of this? What do you mean that, that this isn't enough? Bless his little Pharisee heart, Jesus doesn't let up on him. Look at verse 10. Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Verse 12, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Nicodemus is the most right-standing man in this town. Jesus calls him, quote, the teacher of Israel. There's a little definite article in the Greek there, which makes that a title. So Jesus, uh, Nicodemus is not a teacher of Israel. He's the teacher of Israel. It's a title. So the Pharisees are the guys, the group that everybody looks to for the right answers and how to please God. When the Pharisees have a question, they go to Nicodemus. It's Nicodemus' job to keep the Pharisees in line with righteousness. So hear me. Nicodemus is literally on the top of the pile of being theologically and morally pleasing to God in the world that he lives in. And Jesus looks him in the eyes and says, you don't have enough. You don't have what it takes. Unless you're born again, you will never see the kingdom of God. Oh, Lord, help us. If Nicodemus doesn't have enough, I am an utter failure. How about you? I don't care what your work ethic is. You go, you go ahead and make all the resolutions you want. Eat better, work harder, be more disciplined in this, that, or the other. You and I will one day stand before holy God and like Nicodemus will be found short. You can't dig yourself out of the hole you got yourself into. You can't fix yourself. You can't. You think that you can dig yourself out of that hole? You got yourself into that trouble. You can have the best work ethic in the country. Nicodemus still puts you to shame. He literally had the best work ethic in his country. And Jesus didn't care. Because it wasn't enough to please a perfect God. When the rubber meets the road, you won't have enough to impress the only judge that actually matters. You can impress other people. You can maybe even impress yourself. But 
a holy God? He's not fooled. So what's the answer? Because up till now, haven't we only read the bad news? That sounds like bad news. Actually, we've already read the good news. Look at verse 15 again. Or 14 again. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, it's an allusion to Numbers 21 where God sends snakes, to <laughs> poisonous snakes to bite all the Israelites who were being disobedient. And then it's a cool story. You should read it. All right. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man, Jesus, be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Jesus says, I have come, I have lived obediently. When you cannot live obediently, I, have, I will die in your place, because it hadn't happened yet in the story, but he has done so, and he did not stay dead, as we looked at in Revelation 5, because he's the lamb who stands victorious on the throne, even though he was slain. I have come, I have lived, I have died, I have risen again so that you may have life. And now we get to read the verse that everybody in here knows. Verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. And whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment, that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. Verse 20, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed like cockroaches. There you go. Verse 21, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. So what is this saying? It's saying that you and I have a choice in front of us this morning. We either submit to this good king who has made a way when there was no way but we continue to believe that we can figure it out on our own and have the strength to pull it off. But I'm willing to bet that you've got a really long list of failed New Year's resolutions that tells you how that's going to work out. You should totally stop making New Year's resolutions. Your plans are too small and you can't fix you. You need an outside So we're going to pray this morning. We're going to sing. It's your opportunity to do business with the Holy God. That's why we sing after we're done talking here, if you didn't know. It's an opportunity for you to respond to God's word. And so if you're in here this morning and you're, you're a Christian, maybe, maybe you've chased after things that will ultimately fade away. Maybe you need to do some repenting of some things this morning. God knows what those are. You know what those are. Do some work with Jesus this morning. What are the things in, in your life that you're chasing after, whether here or outside of here? And do they line up with a Revelation 5 reality? Maybe you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus. There's some things you can change this morning. What a great day to start a new life, to be reborn. Isn't God glorious that he's given us seasons and times of change that we can do things like that? Oh, he's a good God. If you're here today and you need to respond for the very first time to who this God is,
to a Savior who has made a way where there was no way. Would you come? I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. I'll be down here if you need to talk. Father God, thank you so much for your scripture. Thank you so much for resolutions, as awkward as they can be sometimes. God, you, uh, you've given us all of these things so that we may pursue you well. And the problem is that we use them to pursue our own good. And we use them to satisfy and satiate and fill our own bellies. But you are patient with us. You call us to repentance. You give us opportunity to come to you again and again and again. You are a good God. God, for those in here who don't know you, would you open up hearts to receive you this morning? Would you help them to see that you are far beyond and your standard of holiness is infinitely out of their reach, God? But you are also the God who came to save. You are the God who came near so that you might draw close. And so, God, would you call people to repentance this morning? Would you call people to glad submission this morning? Because you are a king who is worthy of following. And while our petty little resolutions may fall short, there is a grand purpose in this world that we are privileged to join in. And anything that adds to the glory of that moment will never fail. So God, line our hearts up with what pleases you. Line our hearts up with with what actually satisfies in this world and doesn't fade away. Fill the hungry with good things this morning. In your name we pray, amen.